Well, I am, uh, I'm happy to, to keep moving through the book of Ephesians uh, this week. Uh, we, are, we are in chapter 4. We spent three weeks in Ephesians so far. We've been talking through um, a lot of different things. The book of Ephesians starts uh, by talking a lot about who God is, what God is doing in the world, what that means for us, what it says about God and our calling. And it kind of paints this backdrop that we talked about last week uh, when the pictures wouldn't show up on the screen. Uh, that would have been so moving to you. Uh, and so uh, that, that backdrop has been painted. And so what happens now in the book of Ephesians is that it gets into kind of our moral calling, our, our uh, kind of ethical instructions, how we are to be in this world. And it starts by giving us a lens through which to view all that. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I believe this lens is completely foreign to us. And I'm going to say us so I don't feel bad just about myself. I believe this lens is foreign to us. It's one of those things that we look at and we just, it's just hard for us to wrap our mind around what it is and what it really means for us. Um, it's not just that it's kind of hard to attain as much as it is hard to even comprehend, right? Um, uh, I've been watching a lot of Olympics because I'm a good American and that's what we're supposed to do right now. And I've been watching a lot of Olympics and there's a lot of Olympics, and by a lot I mean all, that is completely out of my reach, right? There's no part, there's nothing going on in the Olympics, even the most basic of things that I could ever remotely compete in. Now, I occasionally will run from A to B. Um, I swim a good bit. I really enjoy swimming. And I can watch those events, and I can comprehend what's happening. I can just never attain what's happening, right? They are uh, operating at levels I, I will never, ever, ever get to. I, I, it doesn't matter how hard I tried, right? But I can at least comprehend what's going on. But then there's the occasional thing I've watched, and I'll watch anything if it's, if it's an Olympic sport. I won't watch it any other time, but when it's the Olympics, I'm one of those people, I'll watch anything. And uh, today, we watched a little bit of fencing. And I'll be honest with you, fencing, I don't even comprehend. Um, it's not that I don't understand how someone can swim that fast or run that far or jump that high. I don't have a clue what is going on the entire time they are doing fencing. I know that they're holding swords. And I know that they look like they're directing a massive orchestra for about three seconds before someone's helmet lights up and someone cheers. And I have no idea what happened. I don't know what's going on at all. Uh, I've even kind of tried to look up the rules and I, I don't know how someone judges it. I don't know who's winning or how they're winning. I don't get any of it. I don't, how did they even do that sport before people's helmets lit up to say that they got tagged? Have you, have you watched it at all? I mean, just, it's just, it looks like my son picking up a stick and just waving it as fast as he can. It's, it's insane, right? Uh, and I don't, and honestly, I don't think it translates at all. I'm not sure what the original fencing was, if they use like real swords and two people, and there's only a gold medal winner, and that's it. Um, but I don't think that skill has translated, because whatever these folks are doing, I don't think wins any fights. Uh, when the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm not getting behind a fencer, because they're dead quickly. I don't think they're doing anything that translates to real-life skills. Um, I, I admire the fact that someone's dedicated their life to it, and they're obviously very good at it. It's a sport. They must be good at it. I don't, I can't even comprehend what is happening, right? There's things I can, I can get and think about that may be beyond my reach, and there's things that I have a hard time comprehending. The lens that we begin the kind of ethical instructions with in the book of Ephesians is something I have a hard time even comprehending. And I think as we get into it, um, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Let's, let's, let's read again uh, the passage you heard uh, read so beautifully by Jake earlier, but to, to remind ourselves that we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And again, this is where the writer is beginning to kind of tell us what we are to do in this world. And it says this, 
I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you who were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same, the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine and people's trickery by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth into building itself up in love. There is so much packed in here. There's a sermon series here if we wanted it. But what I want to get at tonight is kind of a little bit of the larger picture and the lens that's being presented here for us to view the way we operate in this world through. And the question that we are asked is, why are we called to do the things we're called to do? Why do we behave the way we are called to behave in this world? Why do we conduct ourselves in a certain way? And Ephesians 4 has a very clear answer, but to be honest, Again, to be honest, I don't think we'll like it very much. And I don't think we'll understand it very well. Because it goes very against our culture. We are a very uh, self-centered culture, a very self-helpy culture. We're, we love you know, the books and the TED Talks and the life hacks and the mind tricks. Anything and everything that makes us more effective, more productive, more competitive to help us to kind of win at life. right? Which we assume will make us more valuable and more happy on some level. And these things are well and good. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with self-improvement. But the larger question for why we do all these things is always still, why? What is the point? What are we hoping to have happen in the end? What is the purpose of this behavior, this behavior modification? Is it just for me to be the best that I can be? And again, I think Ephesians has a very clear answer to that question of why. Why should we do what we should do? And the answer is we do the things we do for the unification of and the building of the body is the language it uses. We do these things for us and not just for me. We live the way we live ideally because of what it means for the collective and not just for the self. Everything is set within the context of the body. There are a few ideas more foreign to us and our culture and the world we live in than to really truly understand ourselves as living in relation to being a body, 
Now, at our worst, uh, we are imagined and yet unapologetic individualists. All right? I say imagined because I think the kind of individual, individualism that we tend to fetishize in our culture is the stuff of movies and not real life. Um, I honestly don't even believe individualism is an option, right? You were literally born into this world completely dependent. You would, not, you would never made it out of diapers if it weren't for other people. Uh, you are still dependent, even if it's not quite so obvious. I mean, even if you end up on an island by yourself growing a big beard because of a plane crash and you're talking to a volleyball who is your only friend, somebody made Wilson who you're telling the bad jokes to and doing all these things with. Someone taught you how to make that fire and scouts. You, no man is an island even if he's trapped on one, right? And even though pure individualism is not real, although we still like to uplift it and act like it is, it's a posture we're in love with, right? Great personal achievement is the highest of cultural goods for us. The self-made, self-contained man Uh, is seen as a heroic ideal in our culture. And if you doubt that at all, just consider the fact that we spent a whole lot of our news and time applauding competing billionaires who took fun trips to space recently to the tune of billions of dollars in the midst of a worldwide pandemic and massive human suffering of all varieties. That's a weird set of values. If you don't think we still struggle with this, consider some of the berating that a gymnast got for feeling like she couldn't do what she wanted to for the team, so stepping back and letting someone else do it so she didn't hurt the collective. But she compromised her individual stature. Right? The glorification of this false individualism is us, and it's us at our worst, right? That's part of who we are. At our best, And we have moments of this culturally, and hopefully personally we have at least moments of this, where we begin to see ourselves as an individual part of a team or a flock, if you will, or a school or whatever you want to say. Individuals, yes, but part of a larger reality as well. There is this kind of communal identity that we are individuals within, but we relate to each other and there's a larger good, and we seek to benefit that larger good. Right? There's this tide that can raise all the individual ships, so to speak. And to some degree, I begin to realize that how I behave can matter to the whole, and I need to consider that and not just consider myself. But ultimately, even within that framework, which is, I think, kind of the best of what we offer in this world most of the time, ultimately, I am still me and you are still you. Now, it's clearly better than the delusional hyper-individualism that we so often glorify. But is this even what Ephesians is meaning when it calls us towards the unification of the body, the one body? Because to be a body is something else altogether. In fact, when Scripture talks about what we are equipped to do with the body, the word in Greek there is kat artismo, And what the term literally means is to reset what has been rent. It is to fix a broken bone. We are called to the setting of a fractured bone back into the one singular thing it was intended to be. We are equipped, we are set up to do the work of setting the fractured bones of the body. 
Because we are, in fact, according to Ephesians, one body. This is not the same as being a part of a flock or a member of a group. In a group, you can be sick and I can be healthy. I can be included and you can be excluded. You can be thriving and I can be suffering. That's how a group works. Yes, we have some things in common, but we're still individuals. This has been made abundantly clear to us during a pandemic. Sure, we may all be on the same team in some sense, but I think we probably would have handled the pandemic a little bit differently if we didn't still see ourselves ultimately as individuals, even if we do have some relationship to the whole. There is a much higher calling here in Ephesians, one that's honestly, it's hard to wrap my mind around, because to be a body is to be completely different reality than that. To be a body is to be one unified reality. You don't get the luxury of separating out anything and staying healthy. Too much information. I've got an infection in my big toe. I know you really wanted that mental image for your devotional thought tonight. It's been there about a month. Small, insignificant, it's just in one toe. But it's ruining my life. And its implications don't ever seem to end. I've, uh, it's, it's only a little part of my body, uh, as much as I've wished it wasn't for the last couple of weeks, and I've considered removing it if I could. Been through two different rounds of antibiotics. Uh, those, one of the first round, uh, the antibiotics did not agree with me. It threw a bunch of stuff off in my body. The second round doesn't seem to have done anything. I've got a, a, a freakish infection that is going up against everything and winning. It's all connected. It's just a toe, but it's my body. And it's messing with everything. I don't get to ignore it. It's not just an individual part of some collective whole. It's me. And Ephesians is calling us to that image. Ephesians is reminding us that everything we do is within the context of the body. As if we even believe such a thing. I found this is why uh, having children was so jarring for me. I heard some, someone told me when they, I was getting all kinds of parental advice before Lillian came into the world. And uh, the, the one thing that someone told me that proved to be the most true was they said, uh, the best way I can explain having a child is that from now on, your heart's going to locate itself outside your chest and walk around the world without you. For better or for worse. Right? And I think that's true. At least that's the way I've experienced it, Right? It would be unthinkable to separate myself from one of my children. I I can't individualize completely from them. It would be an amputation, right? I mean, just ask anyone who's gone through it. It used to really annoy me that my mother was so inextricably connected to me. I would stub my toe and she would cry. I would finally get that breakaway in soccer and she would start screaming at a decibel that only dogs could hear and embarrassed me. I would walk away from the ball just to go back to the bench so she would stop making the noise. I couldn't have a victory she didn't feel. I couldn't have a failure that she didn't feel. There was no real separation. I believe that's why Scripture so frequently works in the language of family because it's the thing we can most closely relate this reality to. God as father, God as mother hen, us as brothers and sisters, we are called to understand ourselves not as individuals relating to God, 
but as a body belonging to Christ. It has become very vogue in Christian circles right now to try and divide this back out from faith. And every time I begin to see people have the arguments about whether or not we can talk about systemic this or social justice that or whether it's, you know, and they talk about Christianity only in terms of individual kind of salvation, get out of, you know, hell free cards and all these kind of ways of talking about it. I'm reminded of a quote that Martin Luther King had in his letter from the Birmingham jail uh, that you've heard before but gets at this reality so clearly. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. That is the language of a body. That is Christian language. In fact, the choice of the wording there, a single garment of destiny, I don't think is an accident. It gets at that image of shalom in the, in the Old Testament. The word is shalom, and it, we read it as peace. And the idea of shalom is that everything is working together the way it's intended. It's a, it's a tapestry with no tears and no frayed edges. It's everything as it should be. It's what uh, Jews wish each other. In verse 3 of chapter 4 that we just read, there's the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, shalom. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. The word one is used seven times in two verses here. This is the point of what's being said. We are challenged to remember that we are not individuals on some personal hero's journey with God. We are one body belonging to Christ. What happens to me happens to you. Your health, your well-being is my health and my well-being. One body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God in all. And if you are at all like me, you don't even know what this looks like on a day-to-day basis. Honestly, I I don't know how to conceive about living my life like this. It's, It's hard enough with my own kids. But this is the vision of the world that's put before us. This is that ideal we are called to pursue. And when this becomes the lens through which we view the world and we view each other, everything else begins to snap into focus. The things that Jesus taught, the way that Jesus lived, the way that he died, begin to make some sense. Apart from this, they make little sense at all. They are foolishness, is what Scripture says. When you understand things in regards to the body, it begins to make sense. Of course we will be humble and patient and kind. We are one body. Of course, we will be generous and demonstrate care. To do otherwise would be to do self-harm. Of course, we will act as your prophet or your evangelist, your pastor or teacher if it strengthens our body. Of course, we will do all this in love. Of course. What other choice do we have if we really believe in the body? 
And this is so foreign to us, not just as kind of American culture or modern day culture. This is foreign to our Christian culture. I'm not sure how you were brought up, but I, all we ever talked about was my salvation and my relationship to God and my journey and how is your faith and how it is all individualized. And what I think Ephesians is telling us here is that while your faith may be very personal, it has never been private. While your faith may be very personal, it has never been just about you. Remember, Christ tells us that everything is tied up in the love of God and neighbor. It's always been communal. It's never been about the individual. It's always been about the love of God working itself among us as the body of Christ. It's always been about us learning to love each other as we have been loved. And everything that we are asked to do, everything that's going to follow this in the book of Ephesians that we'll talk about in the next few weeks, the difficult things and the easy things and the beautiful things and the hard things and the things we can't comprehend, it all comes from here. It comes from the conviction that we are, in fact, one body. And he says, therefore, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in all. Let's pray. God, we confess that um, we are not even sure how to view our world and each other like this. That at our best, we are individuals that have some kind of common good to pursue. But Lord, to really believe that we are one body, Lord, is deeply troubling. But God, we pray that we would be troubled by this idea, that we would be disturbed in our comfort. That, God, we might, while we may not be able to ever fully realize this in our lives, that we might begin, to keep, might begin to hold this up as the ideal that you have put before us and keep taking steps towards it. Or may we live and may we love as your one body in this world. Lord, we do love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.